Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. I miss Macau. Oh, I know, I can get a bottle of port at Marks and Spencer's, but it's not the same as sitting out on the veranda of the Posada de Santiago or taking a stroll through the main square. The cathedral facade, the cannons on the hill, stopping off for a coffee and custard tart or a spot of bacalao at lunch, that Portuguese mix of salted cod with potato. In the autumn of 1999, I was often in Macau, preparing some radio documentaries for RTHK for the then upcoming handover of Macau to China. So I interviewed a whole variety of people for those programs, including the then 87-year-old Portuguese priest, Father Manuel Teixeira, a prolific historian of Macau, particularly its Catholic history. He was also a teacher and produced more than 120 books and lived in Macau for 75 years. He came from Portugal on a boat at the age of 12 to join a seminary to become a priest. That was in 1924, and only 60 years later would he head back to his home country for a visit. I had the pleasure of meeting Father Teixeira a few times. He was retired by then and generously gave me his time. He came up to my shoulder with his long white cassock and his long white beard, and he was mildly flirtatious after a port. Now, I will ask you to focus a bit on your listening this weekend, as Father Teixeira was full of information, but it comes through a strong Portuguese accent, so you'll need to tune in a little. He was able to describe an older, quieter Macau, and in this program tells me a few stories, including about an extraordinary first flight from Spain to Manila, about revolutionary Sun Yat-sen, his wife, who used to see, very old, very fat, he himself becoming a priest, and the center for those suffering from leprosy, among other memories. This is an old tape of a raw interview with Father Teixeira that I found in my drawer. I left Portugal on the 17th of September, arrived in Macau on the 27th of October. That means we'll take a long, long way to come. Well, I came by a, a boat called French boat, Messagerie Maritime, the Maritime Messengers, Messagerie Maritime, called D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan is a great romantic hero of uh, a novelist, Dumas, Dumas, French. And D'Artagnan, the name of the ship, came from uh, Marseille, France, up to Hong Kong, and took almost one and a half months, a month and uh, ten days, to reach Hong Kong. Then from Hong Kong to Macau, we'll take uh, these ferries. It, it was called Soitai, Soitai, a ferry Soitai. And then landing seminary, and being te, 10 years there, study, 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 up to 34. 34, I became a priest on 29th of no November, 1934. So that means 65 years ago, up to now. And now I'm here to serve you. When you first arrived and you were just a boy, can you remember, I want, I want you to remember, when you came from Hong Kong to Macau and you first saw Macau, what are your memories of that? It was not very different from the from the Portugal, because it was a small town, like a small Portuguese town, and 
in seminary. I came from the boat to the seminary. And we are there in seminary, half Portuguese and half Chinese. We were 75 boys studying for, to be a priest. Half of them Chinese, half of them Portuguese. So we enjoy very much, you know. And uh, naturally, there were clashes between Chinese and Portuguese, insulting each other and, and like that, but always uh, we carry on nicely. You see, in Portugal, all the seminaries, you have to pay fees for everything. Your studies, your books, your vestments, your food, everything. You have to pay. In Macau, everything was free of charge. And I studied for 10 years in seminary. I never paid one cent. So all my studies, free, everything free. That's why the seminary was attracting people from Portugal to come here and to study here. Naturally, very few will be ordained priests. Maybe 4% will become priests. All the others will leave. Because they have no vocation to be a priest, you know. They came by adventure, like myself. I did not know what Macau was. To go Macau, oh, very nice. Let us go. So, adventure. And then, in 10 years' time, we had time to think, and to meditate, and to study, and to decide. So many of these uh, students were living, 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 and very few were ordained priests, you see. So your family that you left behind at age 12, where, where do you come from originally? I came from a village called Freixo de Espada a Cinta. It's near Salamanca, only the River Douro, River Douro separates us from Spain. So my village is at border of Spain. You have to cross only the river and finish. But now there's a bridge, we can cross by bridge. And that time, the Spanish would come to my village, we will go to Spain, and we could speak nicely Portuguese and Spanish. What first made you decide, you say that it was the... Adventure, adventure. You see, a priest will go there and invite people to come to Macau, so I want to go, finish. I did not know anything about Macau or whatever. But, uh, you know, to travel abroad, to go distant uh, places, and to see, the, to see the world. And then in 10 years' time, you have to reflect, you have thinking, you have to do, and then you could decide whether to carry on or to leave. So I told you, maybe 4% will stay and the others will leave. Many men left. You know, if you look at Macau, Taipa, and Kolowa, and the fact that they've now got big bridges, before, when it was three separate islands, what were the differences there? Okay. You see, there was a, a boat going every day to the island, Taipa, one. But when there was um, high tide, you could go. Low tide, you could not go at all. So, and the boat will take one hour, from the pier in Inaba to Taipa, one hour by boat. Many times I, I myself, I organized the trips and will go with many people. When I arrive at the pier, no, no high tide, you cannot go. But the seminary, we have a, a little boat for the seminarians, for us, to row. So every week, every Thursday, we'll take the boat and go to the islands rowing, rowing all the time, 
it was the only thing that we had. Tell me something about your work here over the years. Well, as soon as, as I became a priest in 34, I became a priest in 20, on 29, 29 of uh, October. On the 8th of November, I was appointed parish priest of the Soros Church. 22 years old at that time, 22 years old. And you can become a priest only when you are 24. And therefore, I had to ask dispensation from the Pope to allow me to be ordained at 22. Because the rule is 24, even now. The rule to be a priest is 24, not before. So I got this dispensation from the Pope, and I was ordained in 22. At once, I was appointed parish priest of St. Lawrence Church, and St. Lawrence Church was the parish of the Portuguese governor, all the government officers, all the Portuguese people there. That, uh, I was really the parish priest of the Portuguese people in Macau. Corre basso, corre riva a fogoso, con la boina na cabeça, vos nem bom pensa que moda sa cubri, carequinha sem cabelo pra crescer, grande moda agora sabem descobrir. Divertido na travessa Corre basso, corre riva a fogoso Com a boina na cabeça So just to recap a little, Father Manuel Teixeira decides at the age of 12 in Portugal that he's going to become a Catholic priest, partly spurred on by a sense of adventure to travel abroad to Macau. While the usual rule to become a priest was that you had to be at least 24 by the time you'd studied, he received special dispensation to start at the age of 22 as a priest with a congregation of Portuguese in Macau. The next story that Father Teixeira told me, I, I found quite extraordinary, and I didn't know about this long-distance flight at all that went from Spain to Manila. On April the 5th, 1926, three Spanish pilots in three separate planes left Madrid for a daring 17,500-kilometre flight to Manila. One pilot would encounter a hurricane and have to land with a damaged plane in Syria, while the others continued on. And Father Teixeira, at the age of 14, would see the one pilot arrive in Macau, where he would be joined by the other who had landed in Guangdong, and on they would fly successfully to Manila. This flight took place a year before Charles Lindbergh's famous first non-stop flight from New York to Paris in 1927. It also took place before Clarence Chamberlain's non-stop flight from New York to Berlin in 1927. So both of those are a year later. So quite a feat. Here's Father Manuel Teixeira telling his first-person account. In 1926, Spain decided to connect Madrid with the Philippines. So they send two airmen, Loriga and Galarza, 
in the plane. When they arrived in Macau, there was no, no airport at all. And they had to land in the camp called Monga Camp. And that camp had at the border of the camp a lot of trees, many trees bordering the camp. So when they came, a lot of people went to the camp, myself, I went also, and the crowds and crowds were in the camp. And then when the plane landed, they had to go and they faced the trees, the rank of trees that was there, a row of trees. When they saw the trees, they had to turn, but they could not turn, otherwise they will cut the heads of, of everyone, you know. So then the ails of the plane went against the trees and were broken. It was a, a very serious thing. It was the last step, last step of the, 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 the trip. The ails of the plane were broken against the trees. So the wings? And the wings, yes, the wings uh, against the trees. And they could not do otherwise. So the wife, if they turn, they will cut ears of everyone, even myself. So they were so disheartened, you know. They had to repair to wait here in Macau a long time until they repaired the wings, the wings. And then they went to Manila, a great triumph, because it was the first raid, a Spanish raid from Madrid to Manila. First raid, raid. Yes, oh, right. Yeah. Or flight. Well, the, the founder of Chinese Republic, Sun Yat-sen, he, he was born near Macau, very close to Macau, I think two hours from here, by bus. Well, maybe one hour from here, by bus. And then he was born there. And then he studied in Hong Kong, medicine. So he used to pass to Macau many times. And then when he became a doctor, he put his uh, clinic in Macau. And he performed the first European operations in Hospital Kenvu. Hospital Kenvu was put up by Chinese in 1872, 1872, and became very famous because Dr. Sun Yat-sen worked there. And our big statue of Dr. Sun Yat-sen is in front of the facade of the hospital. A big statue of Sun Yat-sen because he worked there. And then, he started the revolution in Canton. He was staying in Macau, but would go to Canton, you know, to excite the people against the Manchus. Then he managed to have a party, and Manchus came to know, and they want to arrest and kill him. So he ran away to Macau in a boat, and this party, I think almost all of them, were executed by the Manchus. He managed to jump in from one boat to another, one boat to another. He arrived in Macau and hid himself in a friend's house called Fernandes. That Fernandes had a newspaper and he, so he had saying, would write articles for that newspaper. Newspaper was in Portuguese and Chinese. So, Sun Yat-sen would write for that newspaper called Eco Macaense, means Macau Eco, Eco. So there are many articles of the Sun Yat-sen there. What about improving the conditions of China? To improve the conditions of China. 
when the Manchus want to kill him, he ran away and hid himself in the house of Fernandes, in that house. And at midnight, Fernandes took him to the boat to Hong Kong. And then from Hong Kong, he went to London. And then in London, he was there. One day, a man came, he met him, and he told him, are you Sonia son? Yes. Oh, I am very good friend of your family. Come, come to my house to talk. So Sonia son believed, and he went with him. It was a man from the Chinese embassy in London. So they went inside, they closed the doors, and he was a prisoner. And they want to send him to China to be executed in China. So then he tried his best to inform the authorities in London that he was a prisoner and therefore to liberate him. He could not do anything and he threw little scripts from the window down. So they closed the window. Then he gave a little message to the cook, cook or Irish cook, uh, to give to the, a friend of his is professor in Hong Kong of medicine. So the cook took the message and gave to the doctor, I am a, a, a prisoner, I am going to be sent to China on such and such a day, please help me, otherwise they will kill me. So the doctor went to the police, nobody believed him at all. What? A prisoner in London? No, it cannot, cannot be. Nobody believed him. Then he went to newspapers and he smashed the whole thing in the first page of newspapers. And then a big crowd came to the street and surrounded the house, shouting, 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 give us your sign, give us your sign. They said, no, no, nothing is happening. Ah, so they, he managed to escape by that. He was taken out of the embassy. And then he went from there to Hawaii to Japan and he started plotting against the government of China. So he managed to incite the, the populations for that purpose. And then uh, a revolution uh, came, and he won the revolution. On the 10th of October, uh, 1911, he won the revolution. And then generals in China were divided, one against another, fighting all time, all time. In my time, the same thing. Generals were fighting each other, and he never could unify China. The only one, the only man that could would unify China was Mao Zedong in 1949. But he, he could never unify China. Always divide, China was always divided. So then he was afraid that uh, he will uh, lose. Then he ordered his son, Son Fo, called Son Fo, to come to Macau and to put the house so that if any trouble, he, Sun Yat-sen, would come to take refuge in Macau. So Sun Fo uh, put the house, and Sun Yat-sen died before coming to Macau. He died very young, 59 years old, but his wife died 87, my age, 87 years old, very old, and I, I knew her, because she was in Varenda, I think you know that house, a beautiful house, with uh, columns still existing. So when I passed, I saw her many times. And then when she died, she was buried in Taipa. So the tombstone is very famous in Taipa. There's an inscription of her, wife of Sinyatsai, is buried here, and so and so and so. So did you, did you speak to her? Oh, no, no. 
She was listening to Varenda. So the, the house is still here? Yeah, yeah. Very famous. Seeing at St. Memorial House. Um, can you just describe to me, when you, you saw her on the, the, on the veranda, how old she was, what she looked like? What, describe a bit more for me. She was a very fat lady. Old lady, fat. Uh, old lady, you know. She died 87 years old. Eating, sleeping, eating, sleeping, and spending the day on the veranda, looking at the, at the streets and the people like myself, looking at her. Uh, so, her life was like that, you see. Leprosy, for the most part in the world, has largely been eradicated, but was a major widespread health issue and a contagious one for centuries. In Macau, a special leprosarium was set up on Colowan, a place for those suffering with leprosy to be treated and sometimes to live afterwards. In later decades, and still at the time when I interviewed Father Teixeira in 1999, there was a Salesian priest called Father Gitana Nicosia who made it his mission to look after the lepers in Macau for decades. And he only died quite recently in Hong Kong in 2017 at the age of 102. So there's another interview I missed. But fortunately, Father Teixeira was there in Macau to tell me about the work of this priest. In Kulwan, there is a big uh, leprosarium, a lepers, uh, lepers house for lepers. And that house for lepers started 400 years ago. Dom Melchior Carneiro came to Macau and he put up two hospitals. One for the poor, now called San Rafael Hospital, another for the lepers uh, in San Lazaro, uh, the church of San Lazaro and put up a little chapel called San Lazaro, because San Lazaro is the protector of lepers, the saint, the saint protector of lepers. And the lepers were there for hundreds of years, until last century, they were moved from Macau to Colwan. And then in Colwan, they put a, a big leprosarium, a big house, and we are lucky to have a man from Italy, a priest called Father Nicosia, that consecrated his life to the lepers colony in Colwan. He is always there, looking for, uh, treating them, doing everything for them, and converting them. All the lepers who enter there, they are baptized. I think maybe one or two are not Catholics yet, but he does everything for them. And besides that, the government appoints uh, doctors to go there and to look, for, to, uh, to care for the, the lepers there. So there's a big colony there. And Father Nicosia put a big church for the lepers, and the Pope gave money for that, uh, that church in the Colorado. So are there still lepers there today? Yes, yes, there are. You can go there, and there's no danger at all of getting lepers in. No, no danger. Every year I used to take my young people there. They danced with them, with the lepers. They danced with them. They give a donation to them and everything. So no danger, no danger. The fact that you've lived here 75 years means uh, also that you've had, I think you've enjoyed your time here. But are there any real special times that you can remember? I mean, not just negative, I mean happy times. Sp something really specific that was special to you. 
I think happy time, times were all happy times, except wartime and the cultural revolution. All the others are very happy, even now very happy. I am very happy with you, <laughs> with everybody that comes here. So all times are very happy. You know, Macau has been peaceful, calm, better than in Portugal. That's why I don't want to go to Portugal anymore. I will stay here forever. The last 15 years, Macau improved a lot because rich people came from China, from Thailand, from Indochina. They came to Macau to invest in Macau. So they bought this Portuguese house. It's a pity because these Portuguese houses were colonial style, Portuguese style. They demolished all these houses and they put high-rising buildings. Suppose in Praia Grande, there are only two houses of my time. Two houses. All the others had been demolished and you put high-rising buildings. would not make any difference with any other town in the world. In my time, no. In my time, Macau was typical, unique. Unique. No, no, no more. And then in the last 15 years, they invested, invested, they, they put up everywhere, high-rising buildings. Suppose here, in uh, Monga Hill, Colina de Monga, Monga Hill. When I came to Macau in 1924, the, it was a camp down the hill. On the foot of the hill, there was a camp, a big camp, no houses at all. Uh, and in 1926, the first airmen from Madrid to Manila, the first raid from uh, Madrid to Manila, the, the pilots, the, the Spanish pilots, Loriga, Loriga, and Galarza, they landed here on the foot of the hill. Now you have streets, high-rising buildings, everything you can see from here, all these high-rising buildings. And that time was a camp. So everything is transformed, transformed. Then you have now airport and you have now tunnels, uh, you have a stadium, so you have now new structures that we never had before. And besides that, we have TV, we have all these things, modern things, and you have mobile phones. So everything is, Macau is transformed completely from, the, from before up to now. But also describe to me traditions that may have changed now perhaps going for a tea or going for a Portuguese meal, what was involved, say, back in, back in the 1920s? You mean uh, 1920s? Yeah, or 30s, yeah, back. Well, in that time, the social life was at home. Very few hotels. There were only Yankee, Yankee Hotel in, in Praia Grande and Bela Vista. Nothing else. No hotels. So social life was done at home. At home and in two clubs, Dom Pedro V Club and the Military Club. And there was no other entertainments, nothing else. I mean, it was domestic affairs. So families will invite each other to go to the homes, to play the whole day. And there, tea parties, and they play gambling also. The people that won will get something. So they are very, very fond of that. And at the same time, they spend the evenings at home. So those were entertainments, nothing else.
And that was the late Father Manuel Teixeira talking to me there in 1999 in Macau. He would spend his last years in Portugal. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>